the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back this Friday, July 29th, 2022. I am Seth Liebson. The phone number is 602 If you'd like to join the conversation, love to have you. Open lines Friday, 602-5080-960. Talk of the economy as much in the air as it should be. As I like to continually remind, the word economy comes from the Greek oikonomia which means household management. And what could be more important than that? As we were just refreshing yesterday, the two most important institutions man creates in civil society, according to Aristotle, is the state, the polis, and the family, or household. So we find ourselves in this oddest of places where even the science of economics has become, in the hands and the tongues of the left, subject to redefinition and, well, subjectivism. We've redefined a lot of softer things in our society from the inversions and contortions of peaceful and violent to the inversions and contortions of man and woman. Then we moved into accepting redefinitions of the hard sciences from the redefinition of a vaccine to simply what it means to follow the science. We should not be surprised that elements and timeless definitions and economics should also have been subjected to Humpty Dumpty's or Lewis Carroll's dream palaces. And so the word recession, from the IBER to every macroeconomic textbook ever written, has been memory-holed and soaked through the Oceana Newspeak apparatus of state. Remember, George Orwell taught us, Newspeak is the effort to change language in order to what? To meet the ideology, excuse me, to meet the ideological requirements of the state. That's why they do it. Language is changed to meet the ideological requirements of the state. And this state of ours, so poorly mismanaged and with no actual success to speak of, has changed the meaning of the word recession. It is allowed to do so on a number of fronts, but the one most relied upon is the unemployment number. But the unemployment number has itself been bathed in Newspeak's greatest achievement, doublethink. Orwell defines doublethink this way, quote, to know and not to know, to be conscious of complete truthfulness while telling carefully constructed lies, to hold simultaneously two opinions which canceled out, knowing them to be contradictory and believing in both of them, to use logic against logic, to repudiate morality while laying claim to it, to believe that democracy was impossible and that the party was the guardian of democracy, to forget whatever it was necessary to forget, then to draw it back into memory again at the moment when it was needed, and then promptly to forget it again, and above all, to apply the same process to the process itself. That was the ultimate subtlety, consciously to induce unconsciousness, and then once again to become unconscious of the act of hypnosis you had just performed. Even to understand the word doublethink involved the use of doublethink. 
Vaclav Havel was onto this in his 1978 essay on the power of the powerlessness as well. But unemployment itself has been defined down in order to help define the recession up. Official unemployment numbers count those looking for work who cannot find it. But millions, literally millions, four to five million workers quit their jobs, took early retirement and left the workforce and thus left the looking for work category and assessment in doing so, thus allowing the employment rate to look artificially lower than it otherwise would be. And as Montesquieu likes to remind, if there is a specific cause for something, we have to ask what the general cause was. And here the general cause was obvious, but perhaps also memory hold. When we speak of the years it is going to take to overcome what was done to this country in the name of COVID, this entire country, a disease that took one one thousandth of our population's lives with the most liberal and expansive of counting, a disease that had a 98.4% recovery rate with the most liberal and expansive of counting. When we speak of the years we'll need to overcome what was done to stave off all that, we usually think about our children and their learning loss and our children and adults and their mental health effects. We don't similarly think of the economy as much anymore, and yet we should. Work and financial concerns, of course, drive mental and indeed physical health negatives, but they also drive societal ethics and athea. For millions of Americans, we destroyed the work ethic. Early on, we suggested our concerns here, and it's probably worth thinking about again as they, the concerns, now drive wholesale the retail problems we must come to grips with. The millions no longer looking for work left during covid What indeed did those government-mandated work stoppages wreck on our society? Of course, we have all known there was always a substrata of people here who do not want to work, who would rather take subvention than work. That, I suppose, will always be with us. But it's not the majority of us. Men generally want to, and they certainly need to work. It is indeed, work is indeed a virtue. As John Witherspoon taught his students, including James Madison at what was then known the College of New Jersey, he said, do not live useless and die contemptible. You like that, Bill? Do not live useless and die contemptible. What an odd thing, then, that there was so much contempt and derision for people who wanted to redress their government over the grievance of a government telling them they could not work. Be they white-collar workers, truckers, restaurateurs, waiters, beauticians— or other employers and employees. After all, it wasn't that long ago that even the Democratic Party used to push and promote welfare welfare reform that encouraged work. As Dr. Bennett put it once, ours is a country of men and women who began with little but a willingness to work and save and make good, not live useless and die contemptible. John Locke made a great case for modern industriousness in his second treatise on government. He wrote, quote, God gave the world to men in common, but since he gave it them for their benefit and the greatest conveniences of life, they were capable to draw from it. It cannot be supposed he meant it should always remain common and uncultivated. He gave it to the use of the industrious and rational, and labor was to be his title to it not to the fancy or covetousness of the quarrelsome and the contentious. 
He that had as good left for his improvement as was already taken up needed not complain, ought not to meddle with what was already improved by another's labor. If he did, it is plain he desired the benefit of another's pains, which he had no right to, and not the ground which God had given him in common with others to labor on, and whereof there was as good left as that already possessed, and more than he knew what to do with or his industry could reach to, close quote. If our children are to grow up to be among the industrious and rational and not the covetousness or quarrelsome, that must be raised with an appreciation of the importance of work. So, too, must our government encourage it, not discourage it, and not mandate that it be shut down. Work is the best way, by the way, to teach and learn the virtues of its own rewards. As Locke put it, children like men hate to be idle. Industry comes naturally to children. Think about, as I've illustrated before, children love to play store and build with blocks and Legos. They used to even have erector sets and open things like lemonade stands. Our founders understood this inherently as well, whether they learned it from John Locke or John Weatherspoon or just human nature. As Benjamin Franklin put it, dost thou love life? Then do not squander time. For that is the stuff life is made of. Industriousness, as it turns out, is a way to self-improvement. Sloth and indolence, those were actually once upon, time, once upon a time seen as vices and sins. Sloth and indolence were. Why, why do we hate slavery? A number of reasons, but as Lincoln put it, you work and toil and earn bread and I'll eat it. No matter in what shape it comes, whether from the mouth of a king who seeks to bestride the people of his own nation and live by the fruit of their labor, or from one race of men as an apology for enslaving another race, it is the same tyrannical principle, Lincoln said. Or, echoing Genesis, he put it this way in his second inaugural, Lincoln did. We should not be wringing the bread from the sweat of other men's faces. Or elsewhere, Lincoln put it this way. Property is the fruit of labor. Property is desirable. Property is a positive good in the world. That some should be rich shows that others may become rich, and hence is just encouragement to industry and enterprise. Let not him who is houseless pull down the house of another, but let him work diligently to build one for himself, thus by example assuring that his own shall be safe from violence. I take it that it is best for all to leave each man free to acquire property as fast as he can. Some will get wealthy. I don't believe in a law to prevent a man from getting rich. It would do more harm than good, Lincoln said. Just encouragement to industry and enterprise. Good words, those. Work was a theme for so many of our greats, including our Rushmore greats. I gave you Lincoln. Here's Theodore Roosevelt when he was governor of New York. A life of ignoble ease, a life of that peace, which springs merely from lack either of desire or of power to strive after great things, is as little worthy of a nation as of an individual. I ask only that what every self-respecting American demands from himself and from his sons shall be demanded of the American nation as a whole. Who among you would teach your boys that ease, that peace, is to be the first consideration in their eyes, to be the ultimate goal after which they strive? Roosevelt continued, We do not admire the man of timid peace. 
We admire the man who embodies victorious effort, the man who never wrongs his neighbor, who is prompt to help a friend, but who has those virile qualities necessary to win in the stern strife of actual life. It is hard to fail, but it is worse never to have tried to succeed, he said. In this life, we get nothing save by effort. Freedom from effort in the present merely means that there has been stored up effort in the past. If man treats his periods of freedom from the need of actual labor as a period not of preparation, but of mere enjoyment, he shows that he is simply a cumberer of the earth's surface. And he surely unfits himself to hold his own with his fellows if the need to do so should again arise. A mere life of ease is not in the end a very satisfactory life, and above all, it is a life which ultimately unfits those who follow it for serious work in the world. So good, i got to give you his conclusion, Theodore Roosevelt. I preach to you then, my countrymen, that our country calls not for the life of ease, but for the life of strenuous endeavor. If we stand idly by, if we seek merely swollen, slothful ease and ignoble peace, if we shrink from the hard contests where men must win at hazard of their lives and at the risk of all they hold dear, then the bolder and stronger peoples will pass us by and will win for themselves the domination of the world. Let us, therefore, boldly face the life of strife, resolute to do our duty well and manfully, resolute to uphold righteousness by deed and by word, resolute to be both honest and brave, to serve high ideals, yet to use practical methods. Above all, let us shrink from no strife, moral or physical, within or without the nation, provided we are certain that the strife is justified. For it is only through strife, through hard and dangerous endeavor, that we shall ultimately win the goal of true national greatness, close quote. That should be in every senior's economic class in high school. I'm sorry to go on. I just thought it was so great a tribute to industriousness and work. Work to the founders and to us, I should think, was and is a public virtue for the benefit of ourselves, but yeah, also our entire community. Industry and constant employment, Benjamin Franklin wrote, are great preservations of the morals and virtues of a nation. To better our condition, as the founders would put it, is nothing different from what we call pursuing the American dream. In 1986, President Ronald Reagan put it this way, quote, How many self-made men and women in America of all ethnic backgrounds owe their success to the strength of character given them by hardworking, loving parents? But for the, but for the children of child mothers and absentee fathers, there is often only a deepening cycle of futility, hopelessness, and despair. We're in danger of creating a permanent culture of poverty as inescapable as any chain or bond, a second and separate America, an America of lost dreams and stunted lives. Close quote. A man out of work, as people like J.D. Vance and reams of social science show, leads to, to quote a recent article in The New Yorker, the lazy way out of responsibilities and the choice instead of alcohol, drugs, and welfare and disability checks a commitment to hard work, family, and community. And the price for such hedonism and decadence is violence, addiction, emptiness, depression, even suicide. There is a reason for our old saying, it turns out, that idle hands are the devil's workshop. I worry about this a lot right now. Idle hands... Devil's Workshop, telling people not to work was the opposite of everything we've ever done. Mandating that they wouldn't and couldn't was even worse. And now, given all the data, 
The effort was nothing short of hysterical. That is to say, not funny, but based on hysteria. All this was simply not good and simply not natural. Whirlwinds will come from these convulsions, which is why we were right all along. Work rather than welfare, education rather than lazy ignorance, are, were, and should be not just our guideposts and beacons, but our morality. For all our health, physical, mental, and civic, and yes, now, we must also include economic. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning and Heating. Fantastic company. I know Chris Funk and I know the team. I've used them for all my air conditioning and uh, plumbing needs. Uh, we're not even going to talk about heating right now, are we? Cool Touch is the best customer service. A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You're going to love these people from the customer service to what they actually do for you. They do it when they say and they say what they will do. Check them out at cooltouch.us. That's cooltouch.us. Or give them a call at 623-223-8957. 623-223-8957. Later in the show, uh, we're going to speak with uh, Brandon Weikert for um, a second time this week because he's not going to be with us uh, next week, unfortunately, or at least not next Monday. And uh, I'm going to get into something Uh, I'm sure he'll be comfortable talking about because it's part of a recent column of his. But this issue of um, of lies coming out of the administration, Um, you know, the Washington Post, what they they were famous for. Well, they were famous already, but they are famously still known for putting out some unweirdly godly number about how many lies Donald Trump told. What was it, Bill? 25,000? I mean, God, make up a number. I mean, it just doesn't matter. Whatever the number is, it, it, it will be as true as the real number. Uh, but is anyone doing this with the Biden administration? I have a bunch I want to run through Brandon uh, when he joins us, but I also want to run through a few with you before that, thanks to uh, some work by one of the best journalists in the country, and uh, that is uh, Selena Zito. Uh, She was uh, one of the few journalists that got the 2016 election right, uh, as we were one of the few uh, radio shows that did as well. I like to think we did it by dint of same reason. I was listening to you and she was visiting you. That's how we did it, unlike CNN and the Washington Post. Funny thing, what happens, what you can learn when you actually listen to people, when you actually listen to what the concerns and cares of the American people are. I'll tell you what I think one of the major concerns and cares of the American people are not. Everything the Biden administration is talking about right now. Anyway, I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960, and we will come back to that shortly. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show portions, of which are brought to you by my friends from Y-Refi. If you're looking for a great investment opportunity, I want you to check them out. What they're offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10 return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's run by really good people who are doing really well by doing good 
for others, helping them pay off their debts. And you can be too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and refy.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. That's 855-316-3087. Selena Zito. Ask a restaurant owner how difficult the COVID era has been, and the list of struggles is lengthy. Loss of customers, supply chain problems, doubling and sometimes tripling of food costs, utility costs, and the ability to find or even just keep workers. Many business owners will tell you their revenue has returned to pre-COVID numbers, but the cost to get there has eroded their profits. They are often making do without the manpower they really need, meaning they are personally working unsustainable hours with customers less and less happy. Many are opting to close. During a recent visit here, I found that several places I have frequented over the past few years have closed forever. One, Roberto's Restaurant Pizzeria reopened this April under new ownership committed to preserving the magic that Gina Maria Verdetti had brought every day to this town for 38 years. This is in Scranton, Pennsylvania, folks. Scranton, Pennsylvania. But it isn't just small business owners that are feeling or experiencing the strain. The problem is everywhere, crossing all races, genders, generations, and political ideologies. It gets right to what is happening in this country regarding how we view the Biden administration. It doesn't just not feel our pain. It jumps through hoops to tell us we aren't feeling any pain at all. When inflation started to rear its ugly head last year, President Joe Biden was quick to tell everyone not to believe their lying eyes. It's temporary, he said. When gas prices started to rise over a year ago, Biden was quick to cast blame upon anyone and everyone else, including gas supply companies, Vladimir Putin, gas station operators, etc. What he was not quick to say was he felt your pain. For his invasions, Biden was rewarded with scores of stories in the New York Times, Axios, Bloomberg, countless others echoing his blame-shifting claims, all written by people who all live far from the people and small business owners who were struggling from the impact of both. The inflation, they all insisted in unison, was transitory. At every turn, Biden has failed to look voters in the eye and tell them he feels their pain. He spends most of the time either blaming someone else or denying that the pain exists at all, for it's all in your head. On Thursday, yesterday, hours after a new government report showed that the economy had shrunk for a second straight quarter, Biden rejected the very idea that the country was in a recession. Quote, that doesn't sound like a recession to me, close quote, he said, and then abruptly walked away from the podium and ignored the scores of questions tossed at him by the White House press. It may not sound like a recession to you, but have you asked anyone outside of experts, advisors and your staff what it feels like to the American people? People are feeling pain and building a fear, even if the media and Biden's administration are clueless about it. This is an important point. If you go out there and actually listen to people, even those well off enough to avoid the pain so far recognize the frustration and feel the fear. They see that even if it hasn't hit them yet, it's coming. It doesn't matter how many explainers you put out there if they're afraid. That's enough. Economists and academics can debate the definition of what inflation is or what a recession is. But the messaging from the White House is one of denial. The question is how you communicate with people and show empathy. Biden's inability to do this is simply puzzling. In American politics, one of the most 
important things you have to do is validate people. You need to meet people where they are and acknowledge their concerns, even if you think to yourself they might be unfounded. When Bill Clinton said, I feel your pain, he didn't say, you guys don't understand what's going on. And that's why it worked. Biden has instead embraced the same dismissive attitude that elites often cast toward voters. Otherwise, he would have known better than to let his cabinet go out there and tell people to buy an electric car because gas prices are too high. Otherwise, he wouldn't be telling people there's no recession when they are clearly feeling and fearing its effects on them. There's a reason every new poll that comes out on Biden's approval rating brings out a new low. There's a reason three-fourths of the Democratic Party voters want to nominate someone other than him in the next election. At the end of the day, it's just not Scranton ethics, is it? I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. I take it every single day, pure potent plant power, blend of 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables. Take it once a day and you are raring to go with boosted health, immunity, and energy. It's the best product I've taken in years or in memory. If you're interested, balanceofnature.com is where to go to get your fruits and veggies. Just make sure to hit discount code BALANCE. Picking up on my show yesterday on um, homelessness, we did a lot on chronic homelessness. And um, I, uh, I I don't know, we, we, we got probably more requests for Jeff Taylor's interview than I have in a long time. Uh, you can get it all, folks, uh, at 960thepatriot.com. And get everything we do, including Jeff's uh, Jeff Taylor's interview there. It really was uh, special. Um, I also got a few emails. You know, I just I don't I, I hate to even say it, but I got a few emails from people. Oh, yeah, just another commission. That's what you elites do. Um, you know what? If you're going to attack me personally, look my biography up first, please. That's all I'm going to say about that. You're not going to get a response from me when you add hominem. Rob is in surprise on that very topic. Hello, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. And, and, and before I do, I, I, uh, it just kind of dawned on me as I was thinking about your music, of course, which I think about a lot. And uh, why aren't we playing any Ted Nugent? I mean, obviously, there's a couple songs you don't want to play. <laughs> I just never I, liked his music. Oh, well, I mean, you like his political position. I, I do. And the music I like tends to be inversely proportional to the political positions of the people who perform it. <laughs> and I bet it's mostly true of you, too. I bet it is. Well, it, it sort of is, although, uh, you know, true confessions, I do kind of like Green Day's music, some of it. And, of course, they're diabolically or diametrically opposed. Well, maybe diabolically opposed to everything we all stand for. But um, Something about Ted Nugent I learned recently, I think a lot more people knew this than I did, um, but kind of interesting. Uh, name me three popular rockers who never touched a drug in their life. Ted Nugent is one right answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boy, that's, that, that's a good one. Gene Simmons is another correct answer. Gene Simmons, yeah. And, and here's, a, here's a surprising one, I bet. Angus Young from ACDC. Angus Young, of all people. Yeah, you wouldn't well, have met, Yeah, right? Right. Good good for them. Yeah. Well, I mean... And they're all still say, going at it in their 70s. It tells you something, doesn't that's it? That's right. Yeah. They're, that's right. They're still alive and they're still kicking and yep. rocking. Um, yep. 
Well, I mean, leaving all that aside, um, you know, we, we may want to reconsider being customer focused. And maybe there's some people in your audience that would like to, you know, listen to something like the new, you know, Wango Tango or, or Cat Scratch Fever. I, you know what they can or, do? Uh, get their album and play it. Or, you know, there are these things on this thing called the computer and the Internet and Amazon. <laughs> and, yeah, you can play any song you want anytime. You don't. Yeah, but you I don't, you have an eclectic sense of, of different types of music. It's a, a mere suggestion. Okay. But um, I, I do want to mention, yesterday's show was excellent for a lot of reasons. Number one, it, it obviously got everybody thinking about, you know, when they think of a homeless problem, I think my daughter, who lives in Santa Monica, uh, is about a block from a park, which is basically a home. the homeless took over there. And, and she has caught people... Uh, well, doing things nakedly uh, in her driveway. Um, these are homeless people. Um, and I, I'm thinking that uh, law enforcement, as was mentioned, uh, and the Salvation Army, as was mentioned, seem to be the right ways to start. Um, a few weeks ago, I talked about how there's a gazillion different drug and alcohol rehab centers uh, in the uh, Phoenix area. Um, and what what uh, what there seems to be is more of a uh, an attitude of you know what it is they want they want to stay homeless okay well let's let let's let them do that but also none of the politicians running for local or statewide office have really addressed this have they in in this in this uh, state it's been or city it's been preciously uh, uh, preciously quiet and it's unfortunate. Uh, maybe maybe once we get to the general, we can we can get more serious about this. It is a serious problem, and it begins with even the phrase homeless, um, because I you know, if you look at any of the videos that come out, whether on social media or on television of of what's going on here, when we're talking about the problems we're talking about, you look at the characters involved in the kinds of things your daughter is witnessing or you were just describing your daughter was witnessing. You look at the kinds of crimes they do against they engage in against each other, against others. You realize that maybe the last last thing on their minds is finding a home. Uh, the Homelessness, I, I, I can't say it enough. I, I, I just can't say it enough. It was a, it was a bad idea to call this problem homelessness. Because the natural inclination then is to think the home is the solution. If no home is the problem, or the home is the solution. Ultimately, you would love everyone to live in a in a in a safe environment in a home, but the, the, these people don't want homes. You can give them a beautiful home, or you can give them a shabby micro home, or you can give them a nice micro home, and they will trash it and destroy it and leave it. That's right. They That's want right. a high. They want a fix. Yeah. They do not want a home, and that's where the problem becomes so dang nettlesome because it's darned near impossible to take someone against their will, even if they're in the grip of psychosis or addiction, and put them into treatment, which is what they need. So instead, the state and the government have been endowing and um, apologizing and excusing and making safe spaces for their ongoing self-imposed misery. And I don't and I think, think that's all, compassion at all. There is no greater slavery no, than is. what these people live in. That's right. And maybe it's time for some self-love. It I is. Mean, you know, it doesn't matter what they want. What matters is what the citizens want. Well, we and live I in a community. Want, yeah. Yeah. 
we live in a community that has to be safe, and that means safe streets. And most communities have laws about sleeping in the streets and vagrancy. Most, most, most of the problem then becomes, though, where do you put them when they're going to be out the next day, if not later that day, once they've been booked? And, of course, they're never going to return, and it doesn't make sense to hound them to return for the same cycle of in and out. They need to be given something much more serious than six hours in a jail um, Absolutely. because we need to solve the dang problem. There are ways to do it. Exactly. I don't know if the communities involved are interested in, in doing it. New York does not, interestingly, with all its problems, have the problems L.A. has. You know why? They don't let you sleep overnight in New York, in New York City. They do in L.A., and they do here. Yeah, yeah. That's a start. And, yeah, and, and again, I think yeah, not letting them go for a while and having them get counseling and having organizations like the Salvation Army and others uh, maybe do some interventions yes, might be. Yes, but it has like, to start with law enforcement and law enforcement has to have a place to bring them and the place that they bring them has to have. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to make this happen. I, I, I think it's doable and stay tuned. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Thank you, Rob. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. George Kaloff is going to be joining us in studio for a uh, wide-ranging discussion about uh, polling and uh, the de- how to understand the different polls you've been reading on the races that are of interest to you, perhaps e- either locally or what the polls are saying nationally, uh, or certainly the polling in our state. He's going to review all that with us, uh, how how these different what these different terms in polling science mean what kinds of polls are the best kinds of polls what are the gold standards uh how do you know which ones to trust all that sort of stuff so it is a it is an interesting science in art and uh it takes uh it takes some uh research to understand the difference between a good poll and a junk poll as well uh george will walk us through all that in the next hour, the House of Representatives. I want to ask George about this too. The House of Representatives uh, just passed a um, uh, just passed a uh, assault weapons ban, as they call it, and it's no, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. It, it, it won't. It's it's impossible. But I want to ask him what kind of what kind of wisdom there is from a party going into an election that wants to take on. Americans' Second Amendment rights. It, they just never used to do that. Have views of the Second Amendment changed? If so, we need to think and talk through that pretty darn seriously because it would be coming on the heels where the Supreme Court has just reaffirmed and reified our individual Second Amendment rights. It's an interesting thing when the politics diverge from the constitutionalism, isn't it? Uh, and, 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 and I don't know that it's very good politics, but on the other hand, I think we have to look – and I'll ask George about this too. I think we have to look at the Democratic Party right now as basically on a mission to save itself this November from a complete and utter political destruction. And to do that, they need their basest of their base. They need the most progressive of their progressives. It's the progressives who 
vote. It's the progressives who get out the vote. It's the progressives who volunteer and work. It's an old, it's not, I guess it's not that old, but it's a few years old video of Rashida Tlaib being thrown out of a speech and she's yelling and shaking her fists at the police before she was a congresswoman. I think she ran the next year. That's what we're talking about. That's, that's who the progressives are. They need the Rashida Tlaib's pre-Congress. What they don't understand, I think, is that the Rashida Tlaib's in Congress are what turn off people to the Democratic Party in that last and final analysis. We'll do it all with George Kaloff coming up. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 